facing west, the realm of Jizo Bodhisattva, and all beings who are making the transitional journey between life and death, how powerful that we begin every teaching at Heart of Compassion by remembering those who have passed, entered into the great majority, crossed the place where rivers change direction into um, the great majority. Um, so and Roshi loved to say, the realm of the dead, the great majority, helped to remind us. So newly crossed Kathleen Rose Smith, um, beautiful native teacher who taught for a good long 80 years past just a few weeks ago um, with full courage, food for all. She, she knew how to harvest from the native landscape in every way, and beautiful writing in her book, Food for All. I think that's the, or Enough for All. I can't remember the title, the book's on our altar. I'm not gonna get up and fetch it, but remembering Kathleen Rose Smith and remembering right alongside her, Catherine, um, Karen Van Eppen, founder of Ag Access, magnificent organic farmer, um, passed just a few days ago, uh, entered into the great majority, leaving her children and grandchildren and so many grieving organic farmers. Uh, we'll miss Karen deeply, dear friend for many, many years, and frontline organic teacher and farmer. So, so many and then so many at the edge of um, calamity. We're turning now toward a text that leads us into looking at the edge. And we're turning, I'm not gonna chant this, but just so you can really hear the words. We're turning with an unsurpassed, we're turning toward an unsurpassed, penetrating and perfect Dharma. And truly to be able to turn like this, it's rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas. But having this teaching of the importance of being able to stand at the edge and also to serve um, is, is rare and having it to see and listen to, to remember and accept, we can vow together to taste the truth of the teaching. And it is a bittersweet truth this morning. I think we're well aware of that. And yet we have the capacity, heart of compassion includes the capacity to turn toward the bitter edge and to ride the rim of the world and to really look deeply. I'm so um, heartened that Claire is present this morning. Beautiful post recently from Claire Peasley about this season, this uh, primordial ancient season um, at the, again, at the edge or at the, the exact midpoint, well, not quite exact, but close to the midpoint between the spring equinox and the summer solstice, this May edge when everything is full of life and blooming. And yet we say this is the cruelest month because out of all this blooming and preponderance of life from the rain and the wind and this extraordinary season we've been having so much uh, death and waste too at the same time. I um, walk underneath the Ceanothus, our beautiful blue blossom Ceanothus and white Ceanothus and the Toyon and the native shrubbery that forms the border of our garden, kind of the backbone 
of our garden these extraordinary native plants here in unceded territory. And just touching a branch, a rain of blue blossom um, blowing downwind to remind us that, as my teacher Alan Edwick loved to say, life comes up out of death and into life again and again, life into death into life. And so we begin by recognizing this every time we meet, calling out the names. And, you know, we call the names of the human world, but let's pause a moment, just a moment, to uh, take in the more than human world that you love and know well, that has also been on this transit um, between living and dying and moving across. So just take a moment um, perhaps to call up um, animal or mineral, a place you love and know well that is endangered and at the edge of survival. And hold that too, hold that as well. I think of going out our door and standing on the edge of Redwood Creek, short seven mile long spur that runs from the flanks of Mount Tamalpais out to the Pacific Ocean long and steadily an unstocked stream. And our friend Mia Monroe, who's been studying the salmon ecology of the river for so many years, mentioning even in all the fullness and the rain, um, not a single salmon was clocked or at least seen. <laughs> I say this with real reservation because just because seen or not, salmon are moving, they're ancient ones, but not a single salmon was um, seen or uh, noted in this salmon river this year. Not a single of the endangered silver salmon in the coho salmon line seen returning in the rivers. The river's quiet, full, but also quiet. We recognize that quiet, that depth, and that transition right now. And so um, it's my pleasure to introduce um, this text that we're turning towards studying. Is battered. I want to hold up, I want you to see the spine the battered, strong spine of this book. It's been on so many journeys with me. And um, I love it that it's a battered book because we are living in battered times. And so I, with a great deal of gratitude, um, hold up Standing at the Edge, Finding Freedom Where Fear and Courage Meet by Roshi Joan Halifax. This is the book, the text. It's a beautiful one, I hope and trust that you're able to access and have this book because we'll spend a couple of strong months um, up until our, at least until the July 7th retreat together, really studying this text.
And I am grateful because I have known Roshi Joan Halifax as a dear, precious, and devoted Dharma colleague for more than 40 years. In, let's see, today is Friday, three days I'll travel to Upaya Zen Center in Northern New Mexico to be present for the Borella Symposium on Mind and Life with Roshi Joan Halifax, and also to help lead our 12th celebration of planting life and justice with Native people uh, gathering at Upaya Zen Center to found and offer and establish a brand new garden dedicated to the three sisters of antiquity and the Tewa world, corn, bean, and squash. So I'm excited. Two weeks of practice, deep practice, and it seems auspicious to recognize this this morning. This is an extraordinary teacher. She's lived lifetimes of practice. She's a frontline, trained person of anthropology, physical, social, deep work anthropology. And anthropology was my field as well. In college, I studied anthropology at Pomona uh, College and loved this study of cultural anthropology. So I joined Roshi Joan um, in our um, deep study and gratitude for anthropology. She's also the founder and generator and uh, lead teacher of um, long-time study of looking at living with dying. And she served for years on the faculty of Columbia University and the University of Miami School for Medicine, the New School for Social Research, and Naropa University. And for 40 years or more, close to 50 years now, she's worked with dying people, with the great, with those who are at the edge of life and death, um, welcoming them to face the truth of living with the presence of dying. And so she served um, teaching particularly uh, at the Harvard Divinity School, Harvard Medical School, Georgetown Medical School, and many other academic institutions, uh, including Japan. She's just returned from a deep teaching in Japan to help people ease into that edge world between living and dying. So her teaching and um, commitment and program and uh, neurological study of life and death states and their emerging is of primary importance. She also has an active and deep practice life in the high, high, high mountains of Nepal, where she every year has traveled with the Nomads Institute to help serve nomadic people at the, at the roof of the world. Um, I feel that um, really Nepal is Roshi Joan's spiritual home. And again, teaching living and dying and also lively medicine with the nomadic people of Nepal, one of her deep teachings. And then since, oh my gosh, I think it's close to 30 years, living in northern New Mexico and her, her home place at Upaya Zen Center in Santa Fe, New Mexico, creating as a Zen priest and founding teacher of Upaya Zen Center, an extraordinary world of practice. And she's written a number of books, books about her life and um, mountain practice, her shamanic practice, this extraordinary text, which I commend to you as well, Being with Dying. Um, 
cultivating compassion and fearlessness in the presence of death. And then about, let's see, I think around 2018 or 2019, after working for two or three full years and full on working, the book Standing at the Edge was published. And I know Roshi Joan felt particularly that we need a text that helps us meet um, the living edge between the known and the unknown worlds and to meet it with courage because we are living in what she calls edge state times or times of great change and courage. So I remember right when this book was coming forth, um, some of us went through the texts that Roshi Joan had published and just drew out particular passages that were meaningful to us. And we spent a day walking into the high mountains of the Sangre de Cristo range, leaving at daybreak in complete quiet, driving silently up into the mountains, pausing at about, oh, I don't know, higher than 8,000 feet, looking out at this amazing range the Sangre de Cristos, and then there were pathways leading into the mountains, and we each received, we, we actually had a bell, a large bell, and inside the bell there were passages from her books, her writings, to encourage us on a morning of mindfulness. All of this before we began talking together and meeting to plant a garden and to um, proceed with the teachings of this season. I think it was, again many years ago. So I um, plucked out a passage, and they're short. Here's what my reminder, and I put underneath it, mountain walking day, a summer session day at Upaya Zen Center, May 30th, 2013. Now the rain has stopped. Clouds have drifted away. Weather is clear again. If your heart is broken and pure, then all things in your world can be pure. Abandon this fleeting world Abandon your idea of yourself. Let the moon and flowers guide you along the way more deeply into the world. Abandon your idea of this fleeting world. Abandon, we could say, your idea of yourself. Then the moon and flowers will guide you along the way. And this chased by a Yokut's prayer, again from Roshi John, one of her favorites. May our words be tied in one with the great mountains, the great rocks, and the great trees. Tied in one with mind and heart. And will you help me with supernatural powers, you day? You, night, you who see me in this moment, one with this earth.
Ayokut's prayer collected from the anthropologist Alfred Kroeber. So we, we take, we continue under all circumstances as Katagiri Roshi reminded us, just continue under all circumstances. You make a positive effort for the good and don't be tossed away. So we continue with our teaching of the life of the Buddha, the mother of the Buddha. We continue with the courage of Mahaprajapati and we move into this text. We make the commitment to study what Roshi Joan designates or um, uh, sees as five internal and interpersonal qualities that are keys to living a compassionate and courageous life. And this again from all of her years of anthropology, medicine, living and dying, protecting nomads, founding the Ojai Center, which is actually where I met her in Santa Barbara. First time she met Kaz Tanahashi, we were at Thich Nhat Hanh retreat many, many years ago with activists. <laughs> A 10-day retreat with um, artists and activists, and no one spoke a word for the first seven days. We kept in silence for seven days before introducing ourselves. I will long remember that retreat. So we got to know each other by sitting at the edge of our capacity and being together and being willing to grieve and rededicate our strength to protecting the world and not turning away from the living world and not by any means, but also being willing to be at the edge of what we know. So these five edge states, and I'm going to call them out, and then we will spend a session for the next five weeks. We'll really look very, very deeply at altruism, at empathy, at respect, at integrity, and at engagement. And let me repeat, we'll look deeply at the state of altruism, what it means to live for others. We'll look deeply into the capacity for empathy perched between gift and invasion. Look deeply at empathy. And we'll look deeply at respect, looking again, respect, Thich Nhat Hanh often reminding us, respect, are you sure? Look again, we will respectfully, with, with deep um, feeling for all that is, and also by not disparaging, we will respectfully look at the undoing of our world right now in these times. And with integrity or moral courage and with commitment to engagement. Now, I confess that I have scrambled the order of Roshi Jones' words because I wanted to remember these qualities. And for me, mnemonically, depends on a word. So I scrambled the words to create the word eerie, A-E-R-I-E, -E, the nest of an eagle, the high-built nest of a bird of prey, a powerful bird of prey on a high fortress, an eerie. Can we actually come together 
as a community and as a dedicated Heart of Compassion Sangha and sit in the eerie, airy nest of awareness and overlook how we're living in these times. A house built on a height from the Latin for an open field or a threshing floor. And closely aligned, the word is closely aligned with a native place, an acre, an area. Overlook the area, the acre, the truth of how we're living. So I, I love this word. And again, I'm happy that Claire is here. Maybe we'll have some consideration about A-E-R-I-E. It's so rich in vowels. And I, I think of uh, standing at the edge, standing still at the edge between worlds, and also at the edge of the goodness of these qualities and also their shadow side or their more toxic side. So we could say that um, we could certainly say that altruism has a pathological edge as well, that living for others, pathological altruism can lead to a complete disengagement with your own life. You live for others and then toss yourself away. So we're looking at the dynamic quality of truly living for others altruistically without tossing yourself away and becoming kind of grandiose and burned out about it. And then taking up empathy. Also willing to look at empathy at the three braided streams of sensing into emotion and viewing others, sensing into the emotion of others and viewing trying to view the world from the perspective of others and remembering as we do this, so three braided streams, sensing into the emotion of other beings, viewing from their perspective, and then also braiding in parallel remembered experience from our own lives. And this is an extraordinary quality to be empathetic, but empathic distress is also an immobilizing quality that is part of this edge state of empathy. When we are so immobilized and affected by the life of others and the suffering of others that we can't even move to serve. So this, when we, when we look into empathy, we'll also look into pathological empathy. And when we look into respect, we also have to look into the danger of when we're respectful and venerating other beings, especially those who are doing great work, we have to be careful that we not slip into disparaging others. So as we look together at respect, we'll also look into the danger of disparaging others. And I think of Abbot Steve Stuckey, Milgen Steve Stuckey, right before his um, final teaching time, uh, his life, his teaching life was cut short by a vivid, radical, and um, uh, rough 
terminal bout with pancreatic cancer um, from diagnosis to death, uh, a little less than three months. And during that time, bringing forth one of his favorite songs, strumming on the guitar, uh, dedicating um, a song and a tribute to the Bodhisattva, never disparaging, the Bodhisattva who never disparaged others. So when we develop respect, the quality of not disparaging at the same time, not disrespecting others who are less grandiose in their capacities is of equal importance. And then integrity, a willingness to not talk about or share in the suffering of others, to completely integrously look at the world and not be swept away by moral suffering, to live by strong moral principles, but not be swept away by the integrity. And a little bit more about that. That's a, a little bit vague, needs to be unpacked, and it will be, I trust and assure you. And then last of all, engagement. The quality of being willing to engage with the world without burning out, which is the edge state of engagement, so engaged with the life of the world that you burn out. So Thich Nhat Hanh could say and teach and be, and be called the leader of engaged Buddhism because he noticed that mindfulness must always be engaged. Once they're seeing, there has to be acting. Otherwise, what is the point of seeing, he asked us. And yet he also had the insight and moral courage to recognize that life is more than suffering. Suffering is not enough. And that Buddhism is made of non-suffering elements. So Buddhism is sometimes even made of non-engaging elements, of the ability to step back, to be quiet, to heal from burnout. I'm giving you a rich palette. I know that. I'm giving you a rich, multi-layered nest. I promise you, there'll be careful discernment, sifting, and unpacking, but also want want you want us to feel as a community the importance that we cannot look at global climate emergency and change without developing these states, these moral states, without finding our place in this nest of altruism, empathy, respect, integrity, and engagement. So, just um, hold this for a moment in your own life and experience, holding this encouragement and letting your original intention be nourished by overlooking, by being high up. And I remember when Roshi Joan first began to work on standing at the edge. And, and I, I had the pleasure of being involved with a close cadre of her friends um, when it came time to title this book. And um, 
we there were a number of of looser titles we we encouraged her to go toward this title standing at the edge at the known edge between worlds and you know you know well that we live on the live edge of two continents meeting the dynamic edge of change and upwelling and in this dynamic edge tremendous capacity and proliferation we certainly see it in this wet season of new life extraordinary numbers of species living and dying together on this active edge dynamism beyond measure and also um, dynamism that is both grave and grand at the same time so are we willing together as a sangha to stand at the edge of what we know and don't know to stand with the courage of we've been well seated <laughs> playing again not with c-e-d-e-d -E -E but c-e-e-d-e-d -E -E we've been and i'm used to spelling so the children next door don't know what we're what the adults are talking about so i've become a very fast speller i can say don't let let's not encourage charlie to eat c-a-n-d-y right now because he'll be crazy so we, we're we're good spellers, but you know we're in in a spell right now, the spell of the sensuous, as we stand at the edge of incredible sorrow, grief, and commitment, and we're standing together with a heart of compassion. And notice, dear ones, notice, and we can talk about this in a moment as we open the screen for your observations. Uh, notice that Roshi Joan did not include compassion as one of the states because in order for deep compassion to be developed and this this insight from a long session a full session with neuroscientists and doctors and philosophers and psychologists meeting with his holiness years ago in santa barbara and then most recently just a year ago where Roshi Joan and the mind and life neuroscientists of the Varela Institute met with His Holiness for five days, Roshi Joan being the convener and the, the uh, I like to say, felicitator, not only facilitator, felicitator of a dialogue between science and practice. Notice that compassion is born of the courage of standing at the edge and standing with these qualities of altruism, empathy, respect, integrity, and engagement. When we can do that, true compassion may be born. Compassion, the willingness to look and not turn away from suffering in the world. So that's our, that's our vow, to be able to do that. That's why we began this morning with the prayer to Avalokiteshvara, I just love the translation. Can we perceive the cries of the world, take refuge in awakening, become awakening, help all to awaken and never be separate from awakening, good strong teaching and community. Can we somehow be eternal in our compassion, intimate, pure and joyful in the morning, be one with Avalokiteshvara and in the evening be one with Avalokiteshvara whose heart moment by moment arises whose heart moment by moment remains 
So this is our vow, and it's not a given, especially not in these times. Not a given, but a gift. The gift of compassionate service and compassionate presence. So um, here we are at the new edge. I was thinking this morning, I let myself just rip and roam over edge. Here's what came up, rim, out, outline, boundary, margin, border, fringe, periphery, brink, brow, and brim, the known verge, the convergence of all of the qualities that are needed to face and respond to the call of the world right now. So we're preparing ourselves for an in-depth immersion in looking at climate justice, climate study. And we're, we're preparing with this beautiful text written by a woman, frontline woman teacher, um, unstoppable, alpha, uh, and also vulnerable and open to, um, to loss and change. So I'm deeply grateful, deeply grateful to study with you, to study this text and to, ha and to see it fresh, to read it fresh. You know, as, as a, um, Roshi Joan and I know each other pretty well, and just recently she said to me, you need to read, to personally to me, you need to read again the, se the sections on empathy, she said, because a person with the kind of empathy that I exhibit, she said to me, as a friend, Oh, we need to remember how important it is to be careful and not enter into empathic distress at what's happening to the world. This is this was after, let me just, one intimate story, then we go to you, after a teaching by Natalie Goldberg um, about the rhinoceros fan, a koan teaching. And I listened to Nat, Natalie talking about the rhinoceros fan and clearly saw the Western rhinoceros and the demise of the Western rhinoceros. I was blinded by empathy and thinking about the actual rhinoceros. And I went to tell Roshi Joan that, and she took me really in close. And she said, we need you and your empathy. Please stay strong right at this present moment. Not denying the demise of the African rhinoceros, or the Indian rhinoceros. I'm not even sure why, where rhinoceri live, but she said, don't go there, stay present. Develop your own compassion. You're so needed right now. It's a very important teaching for me. And it's become a kind of um, uh, just reminder, deep reminder. I have a notebook with rhinoceroses trotting all around the cover just to remember to come back to myself. So I'm calling on all of us to do that. If in fact this terrain is edgy for you. And, and, and think of the word, another thing with edgy, cutting edge. And also I have an edge as a privileged white woman of great means and capacity. I have an edge that has to be respected with integrity and empathy and some kind of altruistic awareness. I have an edge an unearned edge. 
And I want to be mindful of that. And I can sometimes be very edgy and on edge. So there's all kinds of meaning to these words and how we practice. And also the opportunity to be fresh, vulnerable, and open to um, looking again with respect, integrity, empathy, altruistic awareness, and compassionate commitment. I'm glad we're doing it together. I'm glad we're, please, please study this book. Some of you have read it and read it well and deeply. It's fresh. It proliferates at night. Every good book keeps on changing the print in the darkness. So the words are fresh, that they jump fresh over the edge into your life. From the eerie to the ground. New, unabidingly uh, dangerous and important. So this is such a book. Such a book. <laughs> such a book. And um, thank you for listening. We have 15 precious minutes to, um, to interact and talk about what, what edge you're standing at. We commit to understanding that we are at the edge of looking at real climate disaster now and the capacity to interact and not turn away. So we admit that this is our call for the next few months, our deep call. And then also, just as I revealed a little bit of my edge, my edge is very much goes with empathy, feeling into the suffering of the world, but also not being tossed away. So what's an edge, what's edgy for you?